Emulation, a non-controversial topic. Today on... Press P to insert coin. <laughs> that Y2K is cut up. Put that in your slot. <laughs> oh. Little meme. Yeah, we got a little too controversial. No, that has to be a new t-shirt now. <laughs> Emulation and merchandise. Today on... <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Press B to Cancel. I'm this week's host, Sick Jake. But never alone. No, of course not. And not emulated, but here in person, we have Pulse109. How are you doing, Pulse? I am doing well. How are you? Fantastic. And also, we've got Werewolf. How are you doing? I'm, I'm not entirely sure how I got here, but I, I think I'm all right. <laughs> Definitely not downloaded, because that'd be wrong. And not to be underscored, GP of the Retrotherapy. How you doing? Doing well, thank you. How are you? Uh, that's not how this works. Okay. okay, so this week, I want to get right into it, because I love this topic. I eat and breathe this stuff, and it's kind of the whole thing we do in the podcast, and that is playing retro games, emulation, or original hardware. I don't want to say controversial, but just something, when you say the word emulation, can trigger people. <laughs> it's just It's just ridiculous. I am triggered. You're triggered. I mean, we all I get triggered. triggered. Just have somebody say Final Fantasy VIII, and I can't stop. What? I can't shut up. Don't say those words. Yes, that's not a good game. It's just trash. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a whole slew of people who are accidentally triggered with Final Fantasy eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting close. No, because it'll be XVIII. No, no, no. Like, just speaking the words. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I see. All right. Anyway. So emulation, I guess, the thing. And it, it does trigger some people. I know from my personal experience, I recently bought something called a Mister. It's a FEGA system. And we'll talk a little bit about it later on. But it goes without failing. The few times I've streamed recently with it, or if I mention it in anybody's chat, the immediate response as well as not original hardware. It's not the same thing. I'm like, uh, I know it's not the same thing. I don't care. It's still a pretty awesome system. And at the end of the day, the important thing is, it's something I can use to play retro games, games that I like. And it's not to say emulation is bad. Not at all. I think everybody here in the podcast is emulating something to this day or has recently. So I'm going to go quickly around the room, just check with the guys. How do you play your retro games today? GP, how about you start? How do you play your retro? I'm a bit of a collector of the the carts, and I, whenever possible, I prefer to play on original hardware. So I feel like maybe I was the wrong person to ask. I'm so sorry. Am I supposed to say emulate? Oh, so you're one of those assholes. But what I about see. you've got a Retron too, don't don't you? Uh, had a Retron. It actually belonged to my cousin, so he has that. He let me borrow it for a time. But uh, that was mostly just for, like, marathons where I was trying to beat, like, big numbers of games in under a certain number of hours. So I didn't have to mess with a lot of extra stuff. I could just go in between, like, the NES or the Sega and the Super Nintendo without having to unhook and rehook up systems. Damn you being efficient. 
Smart. Okay. See, I asked earlier before the podcast if you had a Retron because <laughs> I was going to talk about it. Well, to be honest, like I've played on a Retron, but I don't, I don't really use one <laughs> okay. because I care about the sanctity of games. And if you emulate, you can just eat my entire ass. Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, Emulating is fine. <laughs> I am currently doing a Final Fantasy marathon of one through seven, and I have yet to play any of them on hardware. So, well, yeah. So we should talk more about that too, because I've been watching here and there you playing Final Fantasy, and one of the things about emulation is, with a lot of emulators, especially today, there's been a, a couple new innovations, right? Save states everybody knows about, but the one I'm talking about is fast forwarding. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, I hate it when a game does not respect the player's time. And I'm not just being a jerk. Bullshit. Not this time. (laughs) (laughs) But it's annoying for RPGs. Like, I love Final Fantasy games, but I just don't want to sit and spend 50 hours playing through them anymore. And GP watching you stream, you are using the fast forward everywhere. (laughs) Menu navigation. Well, Yeah, that's mostly it's for the menu. Item management. (laughs) Yes, because, well, it depends on the game also. For example, Final Fantasy II sucked. There's not much I can do about that. Uh, no, and of course that game is even more grind-heavy than most of the other Final Fantasies. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. At this point, after fast-forwarding through a lot of the grinding of two, it became second nature, and really what I should do is go and deprogram the controller so it doesn't have the fast-forward function. Uh, but yeah, like I've, I've just found that I've gotten used to fast-forwarding through... yeah. Certain parts, not the entire thing, certainly. The music alone, it would be a travesty to fast forward through all of it. So battles, I try not to fast forward because the music's, you know, great. Um, you know, the overworld, I, I don't do. But if I'm accessing the menu, most of the time, yeah, I'll go a little faster, just because. You can. Yeah, I I can, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> right, but you're not the only one doing it. I do the same thing. That doesn't make it right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and to be honest, before the fast forward existed, I never really had those complaints. So it's uh, uh, it's just been something brought to my attention because I've done it once. It's it's required now. But I, I think if I were to pull up, you know, the original Final Fantasy two on Super Nintendo and play that, you know, hardware without the fast forward, I think I'd still be okay. I think part of the reason I'm doing it is just because it can be a bit obnoxious. Otherwise, yeah, and it's also. The grinding is is difficult. I always worry about playing RPGs on stream, and is it too grindy, right, for the stream? Or should I do some of the stuff offline, right. where the fast forward lets you kind of power through through a lot of that? Yeah. So I, I like the fast forward as well. In fact, when I was recording some stuff for our YouTube, press speed to cancel on YouTube. Please go subscribe. Thank you. Like, comment, subscribe. So when I was doing stuff for that, I was playing some Final Fantasy games, and I was playing Final Fantasy VI, and I used it in the same damn thing. I was fast forwarding for the start of it, and I had to stop myself. <laughs> To remind myself I was recording, and I don't want to fast forward on the recording. But it's incredibly <laughs> convenient for getting through some of those battles. Yes, I agree. Um, I don't think I would ever do that on cutscenes. Uh, and I, I, you know, I don't see myself doing it like with Final Fantasy V because that'll be a first playthrough for me. So I don't want to fast forward through anything that I'm going to be like potentially missing. And then, of course, with six and seven, I feel like it would be disrespectful to, to fast forward through any frames of those. So I, I think it's coming to an end for me. I don't know. I mean, I've did it through seven. There's a lot of that game I don't like. But that's okay. <laughs> okay, so original hardware. You like collecting cards. That's pretty good. And also emulators for Final Fantasy. Uh, Wolf, what about yourself? How do you play your retro right now? 
it's <laughs> either way, honestly, it, it kind of depends on the platform and what I have available for the platform. So let's, let's take the NES. I have an NES classic, so I'm okay using that. Dumping a bunch of games on there. You know, it's just easier to do that than dig through the carts, have to clean them from time to time. You know, there's there's definitely a quality of life there, especially now that I've introduced my son to it. Like he gets to experience all these old games without having to shuffle the cartridges and deal with the you know the the flashing pig screen in case the cartridge isn't working right and all that. But that's part so of the process. That. That's why we grew up, dude. That's why you don't <laughs> the emulation. Blah, blah, blah. Sorry, I blacked out. But uh, there's there's also I mean. <laughs> We look back on that stuff fondly, but it was a pain in the ass. I mean, look at how many hours of our lives we lost trying to get a cartridge to work in a Nintendo or a Super Nintendo, really. I mean... Yeah, there's been at least two for me, and then I'd, I'd switch it's, carts. It's frustrating. So, like, I, I'm glad he doesn't have to deal with that. Despite missing that experience, it's probably for the best. It builds character. <laughs> for example... <laughs> Did you guys ever act like you were doctors when you were blowing into the cartridges and like, you know, like you're trying to resuscitate somebody from like Grey's Anatomy, but you know, you're six years old with a cart, plugging it in, trying to find that sweet spot, hitting the power button and just looking up and saying, not today, Lord. <laughs> no, I, I'd clean the cart out with like a Q-tip and then I'd be pretending that I'm just like some hacksaw before I knew what a hacksaw <laughs> was. I do suspect we were less prone to switching games because there was so much effort in getting the game to work in the first place. Yep. So, like, once the game was in, like, that's the game you were playing unless it just absolutely broke you. <laughs> I know. I always had my games affixed to a Game Genie permanently, so the seal was just immaculate. <laughs> I never had to blow my cartridges. <laughs> I, I mean, it really comes down to the controller, and in some cases, the controller is not that great, but, I mean, let's let's consider using a SNES controller on your PC for a Genesis game. It never feels right. Something about it just doesn't work with my brain, so I can't do it. So I would rather play on the Genesis than with emulation with a controller that's not for the Genesis. So it it really goes back and forth. And then there's the issue of some platforms don't emulate well, like the Saturn. Right. I was going to ask about the Saturn especially. I, I love my Saturn. I would love to emulate the games because it would be a lot easier for me to deal with instead of, you know, I have two Saturns, both of them have their issues. And, you know, there's all there's the ever-present issue of great, my save battery is dead. So <laughs> it's not just, you know, the other issues of, you know, do I want funky qual funky audio or funky visuals? Is is the is the disc spinner going to work today? It's also a matter of you know, I'm I'm not going to be able to save very well. The other side of that coin is, though, like, that's what I'm stuck with because nothing emulates the Saturn very well. The best you're going to get is glitchy and probably rather visually messed up. I know there's a couple of games out there that work beautifully, but for the most part, there's always an issue with a Saturn game when it's emulated. I mean, I, it's it's not even easy enough to just throw the disc in the computer and emulate it that way. Even then, it's got issues and chokes on things, and I don't understand why that's the case. Well, see, the other issue with 
Saturn is because of um, something I learned the hard way when cleaning my basement recently is disc rot, right? CD-ROMs uh, don't last forever. They have a shelf life for like 15 years, I think, at max. What? Take no. care of them. I know. I lost Neverwinter Nights and a bunch of my PC games this way. And I, I had them in the box in the jewel cases, but I guess stored a basement for a few years, did them in. So I look at like you have the Saturn, how are your games holding up? And like what happens when those discs go, right? As of right now, all my Saturn games are doing fine. The only game I've had an issue with like that was Sonic CD. That's it for the Sega CD. That's the only bad disc I've had, fortunately. That's pretty good. My bad disc was, I think it was Spice Girls, Spice World. That wasn't a game. That was just a CD. (laughs) The music CD? Well, still. That's a, I feel for your loss. But yeah, like there's there's definitely in <laughs> the moment of silence, please, for Spice Girls. Was it was it <laughs> Sarah? If you listen to this, I'm sorry. Was no, it, I'm not going to oh. stick around and keep talking about Spice Girls right now. It's what you want. It's what you really really want. <laughs> was it was it Spice World? <laughs> yeah, Spice World. Oh, yeah. that disc was fire. Why did they never put out a double disc? <laughs> I mean, they didn't need to. It was just so good. It was just the perfect... Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, I didn't mean to... No, no. (laughs) Saturn, please. (laughs) If I could emulate a Saturn, I would absolutely love to. But at this point, I'm stuck using the discs, and I'm looking into alternatives to where I can modify my Saturn to use an SD card, and that's still hundreds of dollars. Well, actually, so it's good you mentioned that, because there is something that just came out not too long ago, and it's called the um, Terra Onion, I believe it is. And what it is, it's a console mod for Dreamcast and Saturn. I think there's one for the Sega CD. And it's much like how people use EverDrives, as basically, which are basically like uh, flashcards to put in their original hardware to play games. Terra Onion lets you play ROMs, basically replacing the CD drive in those systems. And it's great because it's, all, it's using a FPGA chip to recreate the disk drive as accurately as you're going to get. So 10, 15 years from now, when, you know, the last of Saturn games are probably going to disappear, at least you'll still be able to use your original console, for the most part, just replacing the CD drive with this add-on. Yeah, but I was looking into that earlier this year, and I mean, I, I don't know if that's still an issue, but at the time it was sold out, and I think new, it was still like a $200 kit. Let me just check here. Wow, it is expensive. 182 yeah. euros. <laughs> yeah, so it was about a $200 kit, and it was sold out. Yeah. So secondhand, people were selling them for five, six, seven hundred dollars uh, That's crazy. And so that was a, a big old, nope, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I love my Saturn, yeah. but not that much. I'll wait. Well, that's the thing, too. It's like as long as you take care of the hardware, it'll last, right? I'll like, take care of it, and then at some point... Get the add-on when it goes down in price, or emulation will come to a better spot. Comes to Saturn emulation, it's improved. I, I thought I used it not too long ago, and it wasn't terrible, but it's definitely got. It's not like Dreamcast emulation, which is funny. Like the Saturn was such a notoriously difficult system to dev for, and it just shows in emulation how it's still difficult. But meanwhile, the Dreamcast, which came out later, is pretty much recreated really well in emulation. To be fair, Dreamcast ran on a like. Uh, a branch of a Windows operating system, so... Oh, was it like Windows CE or something? Yes. Okay. Uh, Pulse, what about you? How do you play your retro? Lately, I've been definitely emulating. Uh, I got into using, like, the retro achievements, but I never 
got into farming them like a lot of people do. I I, I just can't do it. I, I kind of burned myself out playing 360 and getting achievements. Then when I went to PS4 and was trying to get trophies, I was just like, this is, no, I can't do this again. So, but the, the emulators and stuff that they use are great. And I, I'm not as much of a purist as most, so I just really enjoy it. Uh, the ease of not having to blow in carts has kind of spoiled me for that. I'm sure that if I compared one to the other, you'd find differences and probably, you know, see that the hardware is better overall. But I'm I'm just I'm too casual a player to really care that much. So yeah, retro achievements is great fun. I love retro achievements, but you're right. It's there's a lot of bad achievements. And I have the same issue with Xbox three sixty and even Steam achievements, right? For every game that has fun ones, right, challenging ones or interesting ones, there's a dozen games which have Chivos that are like, beat this boss damage list. Yeah. Or get to level three, right, lame ones. And Retro Achievements is the same thing. Uh, for those listening who don't know, if you're one of the few people who don't, uh, RetroAchievements.org is the website. And it's a group of people who have managed to find a way to put steam-like achievements in old games you have to use their emulators or uh, retroarch supports it now and it's a blast with leaderboards and challenges various badges you can earn it's it's a whole community that's sprung up around it and it's probably one of the cool things about emulation is the chivo hunting which a lot of people do and i i honestly i like watching other people farm and stuff but for me i couldn't be bothered but that's the same thing with speed running i'll never bother speed running but i'll watch like people speed run i like seeing i like seeing people uh, do things that they're good at so and if i'm not good at it i'll watch someone else do it i'm trying to think of like threw me off of chivos probably tetris i love tetris it's one of my favorite franchise of games and i was trying to get the set from the game boy tetris and i got all of them except one i have to get 200k points on mode a on Game Boy Tetris. And it should not be this difficult. <laughs> it shouldn't be. But I, I hit a wall, and I think I haven't looked back. Otherwise, I think my only badge on, on Retro Achievements is uh, for Where's Waldo on NES, I think. I think I got that one. <laughs> nice. Very proud of Where's Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything else that involved not having to find Waldo? Actually, there is, uh, although... There's a few. I had to cheat a bit. My wife had to do it for me. There's a <laughs> magic carpet section where you have to fly this really janky carpet and collect these things. And I think that was a Chivo, if I'm not wrong. I don't think that's Where's Waldo. I think that's the Great Waldo Search. <laughs> There's more than one? Yes. Whoa. <laughs> okay. I did not know that. <laughs> well, I guess so. <laughs> it still had the fine Waldo part to the game. Yeah, but in Where's Waldo, there is no magic carpet segment, at least on the NES. And correct me if I'm wrong, after that, didn't you have to go and beat Jafar? I was about to ask, yeah. <laughs> like, is there a genie involved? No, uh, for me, though, I got to say, I really, like, uh, I I didn't bother. I, I got into a phase of it when I was probably 18 or so, when it was relatively new, and PlayStation 1, for example, it was near impossible to play a game that was emulated because it was just, it wasn't there yet. Um, so that kind of threw me away from it for years. And when I came to Twitch, realized, okay, first off, it's easy. I didn't want to buy a capture card, and I sold most of my collection. Like, I had my Super Nintendo games, but um, that's that's the few games that I kept, I uh, held on to, didn't want to keep the rest. I kind of did the same thing with my Nintendo. I had a lot of consoles, but not a lot of games. 
So I didn't really care for it much, and emulation kind of gave me a chance to play the games that I haven't touched in so long. So it's been really cool. I think for me the problem with early emulation was the lack of good controllers on PC. It's funny to look at PC gaming today. We're spoiled as PC gamers. Oh, the yeah. Xbox 360 and Xbox One controller on their own are great controllers. When you compare it to the 90s when you had, what, is it Logitech? Gravis <laughs> yeah, pad, Logitech and oh, Gravis, the Gravis yeah. gamepad. The Gravis yeah. was like, I liked it because it was the Super Nintendo controller for PC is what I looked at it as. Mine had the PlayStation 1 analog. No, 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 not even the analog. The pre-analog PlayStation 1 shape. But it also had like a little <laughs> screw-in joystick you could put in the D-pad. Yes. Much like the Master terrible. System had. <laughs> so I guess we're not going for a Mad Cat's sponsorship? No, sadly. <laughs> yeah, just keep chasing that 8-bit dough dream dream. Oh, yeah. Please sponsor yeah. us. I love your crap, honestly. Same. We all, I think we all have one now. Do we have, GP, did I we have get two. you one yet? I, I got two. will after they sponsor us, I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got that... Uh, that SNES with the analog, the the SNES one that looks like a PlayStation controller with the analog stick. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the SN30 Plus, I think. And I got the the Saturn one, the ball, the M30. Oh, the Gen- oh, I see. I call it the Genesis one, but yeah, you're right. It's like the Genesis and Saturn controller. I yeah, love that one. That's my favorite. It's modeled after the Saturn controller's redesign. Like you had said earlier, how I think when it came to controllers, how playing, say, Super Nintendo games on a Genesis controller doesn't feel right. I had the same problem. Um, I, I bought the, I have the same as you, the SN30 Plus with the analog. I actually play Windows games with it. I play Warframe with that thing. That's how much I love that controller. Nice. But I also picked up the uh, SN30, which is the non-analog one, um, for Game Boy and Nintendo and stuff. Yeah, that's what I have. And I was trying to play Sonic with it, and it didn't feel right. So I ended up getting the M30 because of the big Genesis-style buttons. And I mm. love this controller. The D-pad, I forgot how good the circle D-pad feels. And the M30 is very close. Yeah. I mean, there's always going to be controllers that you could care less. Like, the Dreamcast controller is a monstrosity. As much as I love my Dreamcast. <laughs> <laughs> the the great thing about emulating my Dreamcast is that I don't have to deal with that me- that. Frankenstein's monster of a controller. Like, I don't know why the cord comes out of the bottom. I don't know why it's a circle. I don't don't know why all the buttons and analog sticks are so sparse apart. Like, they're they're really spread out. It's it felt like playing a racing game on Wii with one of those uh, steering like add-ons. Yeah, but you know, it's really just you're playing a dinner plate with buttons. It's light. Like, without the VMU inside of it, it feels like a cheap, light piece of plastic. I hate that controller. It's one of the worst controllers for me as well. That was the only system where I ever got a hand cramps besides NES. And the sad thing is that's the second iteration of the 3D controller that they made for the Saturn. Right. Because Knights had the the other one, right? Yes. And then, what, the Xbox, probably the original Xbox's large controller the duke i think it was often the referred duke to, would probably the ne- be the next step logically after that <laughs> so like it <laughs> the thing with the duke though is i do have big hands so i appreciated the size for that but it's still not as good a controller as later generations yeah 
I don't know. I, I think I have normal sized hands, but what I don't have is carpal tunnel. So I had a hard time with the dude. <laughs> That's fair too. I had to point to all this. Where was it going to go with this? I don't know. I feel like I kind of killed it. So if whenever this airs, if you could just add in a laugh track. Um, <laughs> there we are. I don't think we can afford the rights to the laugh track. Damn it. Yeah. He's still kicking around somewhere. Yeah, he's still alive or his, his like descendants are or something. <laughs> Keep working on that fart track, boys. Okay. <laughs> Emulation on PC. Right. So going back to that. So I had a problem with that because of the, the controller support on PC was terrible. Direct input back in the day, I think. Later on, when the Xbox 360 came out, you know, Xbox made a real push. Sorry, Microsoft made a real push to put controllers on PC. And then Steam and Steam machines. And like, I, I tell you, the last 10 years of PC gaming, I haven't even cared about the lack of consoles, really. I get the Nintendo ones because I love Nintendo stuff. But outside of a few PS4 exclusives, I don't feel like I miss much. So it's been great. But back then, like... Plus, the emulators were not that good, like Pulse mentioned. Uh, not the first emulator, but Nesticle is the one I remember playing the most. And Gene Seist. Yeah, you laugh, and the, the logo of that Nesticle was a hairy nutsack, if I'm not wrong. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't gross. remember the logo of it, but I do remember the emulator. Should, should the nunchuck bowl. hang lower than the other side? I don't... Is this okay? No. I remember the Nesticle dude... Looking like me without glasses, but uh, like if I was a Cyclops. <laughs> Bald guy with no ears or and no eye, one eye. <laughs> but it was a popular emulator, right? Like anybody with a PC that could run it was using that thing. And it had controller support, as janky as it is. And Gen Zeiss was the same thing. I mean, there were emulators before that, but I think the Nesticle is the most widespread. And it let you play all your Nintendo games. And then, you know, slowly new emulators would come out. But the problem was, is that software emulation requires a lot. It's very taxing, right? The idea is you're taking your CPU power and you're running some software that mimics and behaves as that console. And it was a lot of power to do so. That's why it took ages for something like the N64 to get a good emulator, right? Because there's a lot behind that system. It's something that's hard to emulate. And it took a while. So emulators, for the longest while, were never the optimal way to play retro games. If you really wanted to play retro, you brought out your old consoles and hope they still worked. But then you always had the issue of, well, how can I play these things on my TV? Because TV technology has changed over the decades, right? Uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but I, when I had the Atari, that was my first console. And the way you'd hook that up to a TV was with this little black switch and these two, like, All the prongs. little forks. You would screw to the back of the computer, of the TV. Yeah. I remember those. I had one for the NES, actually. Yes, so did I. Because I had a TV that was too old for the little coax input. So I had to use the right. little forks and screw them in. <laughs> I just, I love the way Jake asked. I don't know if you guys remember when I had an Atari when I was a kid. No, I do not. <laughs> I'm sorry, I want to. I mean, you weren't in Toronto in the 80s. I'm really? sure it was a great time. Look, I, I was doing a lot of blow in the 80s. And so I was, I was well-traveled when I was six. Well, I remember using these prongs on old black and white TV. That was a TV I had in my room, right? Mm -hmm. The color TV was the living room. So the one I got to use for my games was in my bedroom. And it was black and white. And that's what I used to play Atari games on. I didn't even realize the Atari was color until it was much older. I didn't know. And then I even played. I remember playing Legend of Zelda 
on the freaking Nintendo on a black and white TV. But you're right. So that was the first input. And then coaxial came out. And then the AV cables, right? Those yellow, white, red cables. And that seems to be like the the standard for a lot of retro before it kind of moved over to S-Video and then later eventually HDMI. But the problem is, is, you know, the TVs back in the day were CRTs. They're tube TVs. They're analog, right? 60 frames, no problem. No lag, right? Analog components. Whatever signal comes from the, the Nintendo, the system, is immediately on the screen through the cathode tapes. Tubes. Cathode tubes. This is where I trip up my words. <laughs> so it's analog. The problem with modern TVs is... Well, let me put it this way. You ever, go, you ever visit family and they're, they're bragging about that big screen TV they got and they throw a movie up? And you get sick just looking at the picture. It's too smooth. It has this weird, odd motion blur. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean there. Oh. It's, it's, it's unsettling. Yeah, it's weird. It's like Uncanny Valley. So I'm that jerk of the family who would go to those TV and I would turn off motion smoothing. And then immediately an hour later, have the family say, what happened to my TV? Why is it not HD anymore? Because <laughs> <laughs> to them, HD is that ugly motion smoothing, right? So I, I hate the post-processing effects that modern TVs do. Um, and it's a problem from games because smart TVs or modern TVs, they are taking that signal from a console and they're modifying the picture, coloring it, changing it, all, I mean, depixelizing it, upscaling it, all kinds of crazy crap. And the problem is it does very minorly, but it does introduce lag from the signal to the TV. I'm not hung up on latency when it comes to playing retro games for the most part. <coughs> but there are... Okay, there's a few. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few. And you're right, like Punch-Out, for example, right? Uh, you try, you just try to play Punch-Out on a modern TV with a wireless controller on Bluetooth and just not die in seconds. Because <laughs> that kind of game is not frame perfect, but it damn well feels like it. Um, I had a, the, It was really noticeable for me, and this is what got me rethinking my stance on the emulation and how I want to play retro, was most recently on the Nintendo Switch, right? There's a couple of things that have come out on the Nintendo Switch. They released basically their virtual console, the Nintendo Online thing. But then also the Mega Man collections got released on Switch. And it's a great collection, don't get me wrong. Like There's lots of cool stuff in it, and it's all the Mega Man games in there, even the bad ones. But when I try and play Mega Man... Two, for example, uh, is a quick man stage. I think it is. He's in two. Yeah. This part with the beams that fly across the screen. I swear to God, I cannot beat that level. Not on the Nintendo Switch. Never. It just, it just feels laggy. It doesn't matter how good I do. I cannot pass that level. Whereas if I play now on what I have now is the Mister with a wired controller, it's no problem. I have zero issue with it. Do you guys have any issues with input lag when you're playing any of these games? I never played anything as uh, demanding as Punch-Out when I was emulating. The worst, uh, I think, difficulty-wise is probably uh, Super Ghouls of Ghosts. And even then, that this this that's the learning curve, I find, is the worst about that one. Well, so the thing with Super Ghouls and Ghosts, that's like, that's like the original, right? One hit, pretty much you die. Well, two hits, right? Armor, then undies. Undies? Is it? Ghouls and Ghosts? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I got okay. I got distracted for a second. If you get hit, you lose the armor. If you get hit, and then you're naked. If you get hit again, you're dead. Right. So that's a game. You're right. It's incredibly challenging, and there are some spots where it's very tight with most stuff on screen. But I guess you get used to 
the input lag. And and for most games, I'm like that, where they, I get used to it, I don't mind it. So, Wolf, is there any games that you find where the lag is really noticeable and you can't play it? Yeah, but for me, it's never been through proper emulation. It's always been through ports of games. Like you were saying, Mega Man Collection and Mega Man X Collection. I The Mega Man Collect... Well, the Mega Man Collection 1 on PlayStation 4, not an issue for me. I haven't tried Collection 2, but X Collection and X Collection 2, I just could not. I was getting owned everywhere <laughs> and i know it's an emulated port but i mean if you're only porting a handful of games i would feel like you should probably make sure that the input lag is as small as possible right especially with such uh, you know a game that requires high reaction times and quick button presses call me a stickler <laughs> <laughs> well there's been a real a bit of a renaissance the last couple of years with the mini consoles right um I watch, his name is Gmail on Twitch. I love that guy. And he's been doing all the ah, mini yes. consoles. And I, I laugh because I know that all those minis have, they have input lag, right? They're they're not the greatest at emulating the games that are on there. I mean, it's convenient because you have 40, 50 games of that console on there. And it comes with very close, you know, uh, uh, redos of the controller and stuff. But there's lag there. And some of those games are like shooters, punch out. It's hard. Like, do, you, do any of you guys have the NES Classic or SNES Classic? Uh, I have both, as well as the Genesis and the PlayStation. Yeah, I've got the NES and Super Nintendo, yeah. So, GP, start with you first, then. How did you find playing those? Do you like playing on those, or do you just find there some issues with it? It's kind of like the fast-forward with uh, the emulated Final Fantasies we were talking about earlier. I didn't really notice the difference until somebody had pointed it out. Okay. But but then again, I'm kind of and you guys know this, I'm I'm pretty dumb. And so if somebody doesn't point out stuff like that, I think it's it's a me issue. Like, oh, maybe I'm still drunk from breakfast or, you know, any number of things. <laughs> <laughs> um and it goes back to what you're saying, like, punch out's a good example. For me, the first time I realized something was, was different. I mean, I was still playing original hardware, but using an upscaler to stream the NES to, you know, Twitch and all that stuff, and I had done a blind run of, of Battletoads, and then um, when I moved, I set up my big cathode ray tube TV and hooked the NES up to there and tried playing Battletoads, and the game itself felt like it was psychic. Does that make sense? Like Yes. yes. Or, or uh, yeah, so then if, if you go back and play it again, you know, through Twitch, you know, upscaled and all that stuff, it, it immediately becomes, it feels like the physics equivalent of the ice worlds in Mario Two. Oh. Like that, that, those, honest to God, those are the best kind of metaphors I can come up with. If you if you go back from like a blind playthrough of a game and then play it on a CRT, it is immediate and impressively so. And uh, yeah, so that's that's what is emulation. First off, <laughs> well, yeah, I had the same problem too, where I, I kept thinking it's a me issue, right? Right. I keep saying. Uh, am I really bad at Mario 1? I know I've beaten it before, and I know I've beaten it without the Game Genie. I didn't play everything with the damn thing. I've beaten some games before, and yeah, same thing. Adventure Island was another one, although I never beat that as a kid, but I got pretty far into it. But playing it recently, when we did that earlier episode, I was having a real hard time on an emulator with it. 
And then when I played it on, you know, wire controller, I was playing the Mister, which I promise I'll talk about in a second. Uh, it, lag went away. It was a lot, not easier. It's still a hard game, but you're right. It almost feels you're ahead of the game. <laughs> like it, it's more responsive and it actually does make a difference. So for most games, I don't notice the difference. Like Mario World on the SNES, I don't have an issue with that game at all. But for certain games, especially for me and Nintendo, that input lag is really noticeable when you, you play it back to back. All right, so I keep saying Mr. And I keep saying emulator. So, and this is, again, I get going back to the start of the episode where a lot of folks, not, well, not a lot, but there's a lot of people on Twitch now who are playing on Misters. And a lot of people don't know what the hell they are. I am the latter. Okay, so I'm going to try and explain it. There are smarter people on YouTube who can probably explain this. And I'm going to say two names, uh, Alanonymous and Smoke Monster, which is a great name. <laughs> <laughs> These two guys know the Mr. Bear I do. So, and honestly, I built mine following Al's videos. So I'll try and re- explain what the thing, the hell the thing is. Because it is interesting, and it's an interesting technology, and it's not just a mister. So what these things do is um, there's software emulation, right? When we say RetroArch, when we say even the NES Classic, right? That's a, a machine given to you by Nintendo, but it's using a software emulator inside. It's using a CPU, much like the CPU you'd have in a computer or your cell phone. And that CPU is running software to mimic a device, a system. And historically in you know in the past emulators you know had a lot of issues right they weren't accurate they were slower if i say frame skip you might remember that as a setting in most emulators back <laughs> yep. in the day right and you had to you had to skip frames cuz the cpu you were using to run nesticle or even retroarch back in the day or mame <laughs> the cpu wasn't strong enough to keep <laughs> nesticle i know gp i know <laughs> it wasn't strong enough to run the software emulator right fast enough but now software emulation is kind of advanced because the CPU that you have in your desktop today is insanely powerful and underutilized by Windows, right? Uh, RetroArch is either last year or 2018. It's a software emulator, and it's I have my issues with it. But overall, it was great because it has support for many different systems. But they recently added a new feature called Run Ahead Mode, which basically uses, because it knows... Your desktop CPU is amazing. So it's basically running a second copy of itself to basically capture the frames of the, of your system ahead of schedule and serving it up to you. So basically it removes input lag by cheating, by brute forcing what you need to render and giving it to you when you need it. Um, it works fairly well um, to the point where a lot of speedrun communities ban it. Because technically, if you, you crank up a high enough, you can get latency that's negative. That It makes it faster than original hardware, which is interesting. Hmm. So that's where software emulation is. So when we say emulation, it, you can reduce lag with things like run-ahead mode and a wired controller. Um, it's, it's actually in a really amazing place. Although it, there are some issues with it. But So that, I don't want to bash emulation. Emulation is actually in a good spot right now. It's probably the best time to emulate stuff than it has been in decades. But it's not accurate. There's a company called Analog. Um, I thought you guys might have had one. Um, I guess not. I, the Retron, I thought, might have been one too. But Analog is known for um, trying to create clone systems, right? I want to say they started making Nintendo systems with old Nintendo boards. I want to say it's what they started started with. And then later, they had to find a way to recreate Nintendo hardware. So what they use is something called FPGA chips, 
Do you guys, have you heard of them at all? Do you have any idea what they are? It makes me think of VGA and SVGA. And that's it. That's, and I don't even know what those mean. I just remember those those terms. Is that that, uh, like, three or $400, $500 NES? Is that them? So back when it first, when Analog first brought out the, I think it was the Mini NT, if I'm remembering it right. I think it was expensive. Yeah. And it was expensive because they were using old Nintendo boards, right? Refurbished. I think is what it was. Well, the NT Mini Noir. But uh, actually somebody in GP's Discord mentioned the NT Mini Noir. I guess they're doing another run or something? I don't know. But they're yeah. 500 bucks a pop. Oof. So the reason they're so expensive is analog makes very consumer focused devices, right? They look good, right? They play actual cartridges and the way they're created with their tech is incredibly accurate to the original hardware. It's is a Nintendo? No, but I'll explain why in a minute. It's very accurate to Nintendo and it plays their cartridges. Um, right down to like the controllers and whatnot too. The other reason they're popular is even though like the NT Mini uh, and then later, there's another one. They have the Mega SG, which is the Sega Genesis clone. And I almost bought that one. Um, people love those because even though they're meant for one system, and they will never advertise that you can use ROMs in these things, right? They always say, this is for playing your original hard, your carts. But they have an SD card slot. And like anything with a slot, you can yeah. put all kinds of bad stuff in that slot, right? And you can jailbreak those consoles. Diggity, I'm trying diggity. to make a bad joke. And I, <laughs> no, I think it was I think it was just right. Thank you. Okay. But you can jailbreak these devices, right? Again, unofficial. But one of the guys that did um that the NT Mini got notable, there's a guy named Kevtris who made a bunch of cores for other systems. Um so basically he took the hardware that was meant to play Nintendo games, hacked it, so now suddenly you could play Genesis and Sega Master System games on this thing. That's why it became popular for analog, right? And they've released other clone consoles. They released uh, the NT, the Super NT, which is Super Nintendo. They released Genesis one recently. Even their target to those family systems, if you jailbreak it, you can play their stuff on it. That's the idea with these things. And I almost bought one. So why are they accurate? Well, they use something called FPGA chips, uh, f- fully programmable gate array or field programmable gate array. I think is what it stands for. The idea is. In your Nintendo right now, GP, if you get a hacksaw and you bust open your Super Nintendo or your Nintendo, go do it. We'll wait. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. I'm the finger. wait. No, which one's the hacksaw? <laughs> not to not to say how bad I am as a handyman. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know tools either. Nice. Give me a butter knife. That was our screwdriver. <laughs> yeah. But if you open the Nintendo up right now, right, there'll be a handful of chips on a circuit board, right? Everybody knows what a computer circuit board looks like. Oh, yeah. Those chips are fixed, right? They have, you know, their their gates and, and logic inside, embedded inside of them, and they're fixed. A factory turns them out, assemble Nintendos, right? They're cheap. They're readily available. That's why they're a thing. But to develop those kind of chips to test and play around, what corporations or companies used to use was FPGA chips, which are programmable. It's a chip, just like the ones in Nintendo, but the FPGA can be programmed at a hardware level to mimic circuits. That's the difference. And they used to be incredibly expensive. Okay, but, you know, do you guys have Raspberry Pis? I think GP, you have a Pi now, don't you? No. I do. I I got one earlier this year. Okay, and so the Pi was revolutionary for a lot of people because it took 
you know, classically desktop CPUs are expensive, but then suddenly Pi comes out with a single board computer that can do quite a bit for such a tiny little device. And it's cheap. You can get a Pi for 40 bucks. The Pi was great for that thing. And just like that, the FBGA chips, which are programmable and really great tech, are now cheaper than ever. And there's one particular board. It's made by a company called Terasic. It's called the DE10 Nano. And it's like a student board, right? It's for hacking and tinkering and for students to learn from. It's sponsored by Intel. And it's like 120 bucks US. And I bought one. It's a kit. Uh, it comes with a power supply. Uh, has a HDMI slot, Ethernet port. Comes with an SD card, 8 gigs. Has everything you need to kind of mess around. And much like a Pi was revolutionary for, you know, bringing down portable computing with CPUs, the DE10 Nano with its FPGA chip is cheap as it's ever been. And it lets people play around with it. So what people have done with this board, and they've done it, the FPGA chips are on a bunch of different devices. It's not new. It's been around for a while. But what the Mr. Project has done is it's brought down to a cheaper level where it's actually comparable to what Analog is doing with their systems in terms of price. So the DE10 Nano board, a guy named Sorglig uh, started up this project called Mr. And it's open source, right? So anybody can commit changes and develop it. And it was based on an earlier project called Mist. And I didn't know this till today, but Mist was for the MiniMig emulator for Amiga and the Atari ST emulator. That's what Mist used to emulate. And then he took Mister because he took the great MiniMig emulator and the ST emulator, and he added a bunch of cores to it for things like Nintendo and Atari and all kinds of great systems. And it's all not software emulated. It's not a program, but rather these cores are created that program the FBA chip to behave like those systems incredibly accurately because at a hardware level. Hmm. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Okay. There's so much over my head, honestly, with this stuff. <laughs> like, I, I, I couldn't tell you how to do it, but I get what you're telling me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I'm not going to be making cores anytime soon. I don't know any of this stuff. But it's it was incredibly easy to take the Mr. Project, you just download an installer, you put it on an SD card, and you plug it into the Nano, and you, you've got it working. It's incredibly easy. Wow. So the neat thing about the Mr., though, is that it's... People bulk out the price, right? 120 bucks. You're like, well, I can get a pie for 40. Yes. But because these things are, it's on an FPGA and it's very accurate. When I say accurate, I'm trying to give examples. Well, you guys saw me playing the Game Boy earlier. If you were to play side by side Atari 2600 or Game Boy versus playing on the Mister, something about the the quality of the picture and this the frame rate is more steady on the Mister. That's my, that's my shining example from the Mister. If anybody asks why they should get one, it's Game Boy and Atari 2600. It does many other things, and lots of people love it for other reasons. But for me, it's those two systems that look the best on it. When I try and go back and play Atari 2600 on RetroArch or Stella emulator, something about the quality of the, the images blurry. It, it doesn't seem good. But on the Mister, it's crystal clear, and it runs amazingly well. Um, but the Mister is modular. The baseboard is 120, and it lets you play a couple things like Genesis, TG16, Turbo Graphics, uh, even Game Boy Advanced. But you can buy add-ons for it, and that's where it gets tricky. You can buy RAM for this thing, and if you install a RAM module, you can play Nintendo on it. You can play Neo Geo on this now. There's a another add-on board that gives you analog output. So for people who love retro consoles, right? 
but don't want to invest or alter the original hardware to output to, you know, HDMI for streaming, they can always look at the MISTER because the MISTER has HDMI and then with the Atom board has uh, analog out. So I can actually, if I really wanted to, output my MISTER to my stream through HDMI, but also to a CRT TV at exactly the same time with no lag. That's where the benefit to the MISTER really comes down to is that outputting the signal. Um, I mean, I don't have a CRT anymore. I haven't in years, but just the HDMI signal for me is good enough. But it's just, it's the accuracy of the consoles, but also it helps eliminate lag. So I probably talk for an hour on lag, but I'm not going to, because you guys will fall asleep. But when we talk about latency, like we were earlier, it comes down to a few things, right? You have controller latency, your display, and then the system. So we were talking a bit earlier about older controllers and whatnot. The thing with controllers on PC is they use USB, right? And USB by default, it gets laggy. It's laggy. So the idea with like a system is your computer has to check with your controller. Hey, is a button pressed? Okay, no. Okay, yes. And it, it's called polling. It's checking with the controller. And it does it, I think the default for USB is 125 times per second. It's like 8 milliseconds or so. But when you look at something like your old Genesis controller, if you remember, if you look at the old Genesis controller, anybody who loves retro or had one of these machines probably remembers that uh, trapezoid plug. It's direct pins. Each button, each input on your Genesis controller is a different pin. And this it goes right to the system. So there's, there's no lag, right? USB is, is more universal. That's in the name. And it uh, is doing it based on polling. The idea of that the system checks your controller rather than in the direct feed, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the, the thing with the MISTER that makes it great, and there's other ways of doing it too, but the MISTER has options to increase the pull rate if the controller supports it. And most controllers from 8-Bit Doe and, and the big names do. So the MISTER can pull the controller, check it a thousand times per second, like for something on those lines. It's like less than one millisecond of checking. So it takes the lag from potentially eight milliseconds down to less than one, even though it's the same USB controller used on a computer. So that's where one way the MISTER helps reduce lag. The other is how it connects to your, your display. It has an upscaler in it, right? I know a lot of people like using something called the RetroTink. I think it's a line doubler, if I'm not wrong. I know somebody would probably chew me out for not knowing this. But there's yes, ways of getting your retro signal upscaled to 720p or 1080p. The MISTER can do that with HDMI in a way that is less lag than is other ways of doing it. So the MISTER is great for reducing latency, and that's why I ultimately got one. That and... Analogs Mega SG, they wanted 70 bucks for shipping. So when I looked at the cost <laughs> of a shiny, nice-looking analog console and shipping versus it's ugly, but the Mr. plays everything, I am, I am getting the Mr. And I don't regret it. I think it's great for that. Okay. Uh, so, I got the hacksaw. It's cut open. What am I looking for? <laughs> <laughs> so the neat thing is how people make these cores. I found it interesting. You guys have probably all used MAME before, which is a software emulator for various arcade machines. Yes. So the Mister yeah. has arcade games as well, but they're actual recreations of the original circuit boards used for those arcade games. And there's a couple of ways they can make those cores for the Mister and other FPGA systems. One is they just copy the core from another system, which is common. The other is, as we're in the process, they actually take the board from an arcade machine and they use a solution to burn off the tops of the chips. They call it decapping. 
And then I guess with a, a magnifying glass or a, or a microscope, I don't know, they can read how they're set up, the blueprints, and recreate that in code for something like the Mister. It seems blasphemous to destroy <laughs> arcade hardware. <laughs> but they do it in the spirit of these cores are on a system now, can be ported to other FPGA systems in the future. It's a way of preserving arcade games that you don't get quite the same way with software emulation. It's pretty interesting. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Like it's but, still over my head, but at the same time, I'm starting to understand the concept you're getting on with. So yeah. I like that. I had one question when you first started explaining this whole Mr. Technology to me, and then I had a second question because of a video I watched recently. So the first one is, how likely is it that if the power were put toward it, that this would be able to emulate a Saturn better than software emulation? So, the, the, yeah, this is a good question, actually, because everybody wonders, like, if I get a Mr., it's constantly being updated with new stuff, right? Um, the Neo Geo... Neo Geo Core was added not too long ago, for example, and that's a pretty beefy machine. But now people are asking, well, what about PlayStation or N64 or, yeah, Saturn? Can the Mr. chip do it? Um, for the, the idea with an FPGA chip, FPGA chip, it's so hard to say, is much like a CPU is, I guess, measured in, in what do you call it, hertz? Mm-hmm. Yes, gigahertz. <laughs> FPGA <laughs> is measured in... Um, Logic gates, how many gates are inside the chip that can be programmed, right? Because an FPGA chip can be programmed to behave as multiple chips, right? The the classic Nintendo, for example, only has a handful, whereas something like the Saturn has a few. And they're more complex. They're hard to, they're more complicated, right? So it takes more logic gates to mimic a Saturn. It takes many more to emulate an N64. The chip that's inside the, the DE10 Nano, which is what the Mister is based on, probably won't be able to do Saturn. It's too complicated. Um, mm. I was reading a few articles, and, and a lot of people are saying that looking at it, it could probably do a PlayStation 1, but something about the N64 and the Saturn are too complex to recreate on the Mr.'s chip. But the same technology, FPGA chips, as the price comes down, more of them come out in the future that are have more gates, have the ability to expand it to emulate more complicated systems. But the Mr. itself only works in this one board. So, I mean, two, three years from now, it'll probably be a different open source project. It uses a different, better FPGA chip, right? Um, But not to say the work on the Mr. is is not useful because once you've gotten those digital blueprints working on on a lesser FPGA, slapping that core on an FPGA with more gates, is there's no difference, right? And it makes it very portable. So, yeah, it's one of those things where I, I think a Saturn... Recreated on FPGA is a ways off, but something like the Terra Onion, which uses an FPGA chip to mimic the CD drive of a Saturn, is interesting as hell. And it's only, you know, a a newer chip away before it becomes a reality. So leading to my second question then, um, and this is a question that I got from a YouTube channel I discovered not too long ago. He doesn't have a whole lot of subscribers. It's really interesting if you're into this sort of stuff and like the programming and hardware capabilities behind gaming uh it's the channel is displaced gamers he brought up a question of accurate emulation and reproduction of the video game audio from all these old games because a lot of times it's never perfect it's always well it's good enough and you know as as time goes on 
and it's it's not just gamers that do this it's kind of everybody we we all just kind of look at our audio systems as like well good enough you know we've got sound bars we don't have you know multiple component hi-fi systems anymore <laughs> so guilty it's we we play music on our phones or our little earbuds and we store our music on our iPods instead of listening to it through records most of the time and i'm not saying this is everybody but the majority of consumers you know ease over accuracy is really what it is and what's the potential of these fpga chips to accurately reproduce the sound quality well you're definitely right that people sacrifice audio for sure i mean mp3 is based on the idea of taking sound or music in the smallest file size possible but it reduces quality right you're absolutely right so the fpga though just like you can recreate the graphics chip you can do the same thing with the sound chip um, the one I'm looking forward to the most is there's a guy who's working on a, um, is it CSP2 or CPS2? CPS2, Capcom. Right, that's Capcom's fighting chip, <laughs> the second one. And that's the one where you have Street Fighter 2 Turbo and Alpha, uh, Street Fighter Alpha and the Dungeons and Dragons games. Yeah, there was a lot of games on that CPS2 board. Yeah, and once a guy figures it out, it'll be awesome because those are all the games I love from the arcade. But one of the biggest things is the sound. That Q sound, I think is what they call it. And it sounds amazing. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You you recreate it just like you recreate the graphics chip. You recreate the sound as well. And the neat thing too, if not wrong, there's a lot of the older systems that used to use the same type of chip for their sound processing from system to system. That's why I think Genesis sounds very similar to other old retro computers. It's using the same type of chip. Um, and theoretically, if you can recreate one chip you can recreate any of the chips back then so it's just, it's very accurate so i mean I, I don't have an ear for this stuff but from under, the way i understand it as accurate it is for the graphics it's accurate for the sound um somebody was asking me before about the famicom disk system because that has technically better sound than the famicom right i think it's castlevania has better music for example and the mister does recreate that yeah there's Something like two or three additional sound channels, I believe, yeah. on the FPS. and then that's all on the Mister. Um, the Sega Mister system, which there's a, some games have FM support, and the Mister has both of those sound chips, the FM and the non-FM sounds, if you want it. So it does recreate that, which is great. So I mean, it's great. I love the thing, but it's expensive, right? Like the baseboard is one twenty, which is already expensive. But if you want to play neo geo and nintendo then you need to buy the ram module that's 50 bucks and then if you want to output to a crt and then have a fan for cooling that's 50 bucks and then if you want to plug in a bunch of bluetooth adapters and wi-fi and controllers well then you're probably going to want the usb hub and that's 50 bucks so i mean yeah. if you go all said and done on the mister you could easily drop 300 bucks on the thing so it's it's not without its cost for sure this is kind of exciting to hear about. Like, I, I, you've been talking about the Mister for a while, and I've always been like, oh, it, it sounds neat, but I don't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah. And so now I kind of get it, and so I'm, I'm actually more excited about this. And let me just put this disclaimer here. You know, I'm sure there's some of you out there that are like, no emulation ever. And you know what? If that's how you are, cool beans. Nothing against it, but. Right. There are a lot of people who don't have access to these older games either because these games aren't available, aren't or weren't available in the market that these people are in. They're too expensive to get their hands on now, and in some cases they don't have the space. I've actually been somewhat reducing my game collection because we moved out of a three-bedroom 
home into a two-bedroom apartment a year and a half ago. So we just don't have the space anymore. Yeah, games take space. They're huge. (laughs) exactly. I mean, you guys have seen my game shelf before the move. It was massive. And that wasn't even all of it. (laughs) I had more shelves that were not behind me on camera on my stream. But there's something to be said for being able to access all these old games without having to have your hands on the original hardware, the original software, and all that. Because sometimes it's not feasible. In that regard, I feel like emulation creates a doorway for people to access these old games, you know, be it people who've never played them or people who can't afford to get their hands on them. Like my son, I put a bunch of games on my NES Classic not too long ago, and he's been having a blast with it. Whenever I have my NES hooked up, he doesn't touch it. So... (laughs) Yeah. Well, something they've said about having an entire library of games versus just you know, the carts you have on hand. Exactly. And I mean, honestly, I've, I've got 40 or 50 NES games, which is nothing compared to GP's collection, but still, I don't expect my kid to go digging through the drawers, trying to find which NES game he wants to play, plug it in, get it to work and play it. Like in this, he can look through, find the game he wants to play, play it. He's already in, you know? Yeah. So there are definitely downsides to emulating but there's also enough upsides to where i don't feel like anybody should be what's the word picked on i guess for emulating rather than using original yes like i was very close to picking up an old atari 2600 because my first console nostalgia hit me pretty hard and i kind of wanted one but then i realized to get that to work on a modern tv it's a lot of work and I have to mod the console. I'm not a tech guy. Uh, I'm like GP. I don't know what a hacksaw is, okay, to be honest. The last time I tried soldering something, I burnt my fingers, right? So oh. I get burns. So I don't want to mess with that stuff. And it just, it's a lot of work. And the thought of getting like an original Master System or Nintendo, having to mod it or buy it pre-modded and pay a premium for it, it didn't make sense to me, right? But if you're somebody who already has all those consoles and all those games already then the mister is not even worth it for you. Why would you? You already have everything, and it's great. But for a lot of people entering the retro hobby, it can be very intimidating, I think, to go out and find all that stuff in the hardware and set it up. That's that's the thing. It's not cheap, especially when you're going into a game that's popular. The cost is just going to get astronomical, and it's going to add up really quick. If you're going to play a game here or there, then you know it's not so big a deal, but... It, it's, 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 it's going to come down to preference and there's benefits on either side of it and I don't think that either one is more right or wrong than the other to be honest so whatever gets you playing that game that's that's what's important to me I want to be, I want to be able to relate with other people about games that I've played that's that's half of the fun of it and it also opens up things too where games I never even played as a kid and I've heard about something like the Amiga right the Amiga is like the big thing from Europe it feels like everybody who grew up in the 80s in Europe had an Amiga. <laughs> Much like the Commodore 64 in North America, it was Amiga over there. And I've never touched it. So the Mister has a core for the Amiga. And I have a whole library of games I've never played before. And it's awesome. Yeah, The Amiga is one of the best sounding like game li- like game sound library I've ever heard. It's like I love Genesis Sound. Amiga is way better. 
It's just interesting as hell, and there's all kinds of games on it. Some are bad. Oh yeah, my my <laughs> like <Ninja> uncle. Turtles. <laughs> my uncle was super into the Amiga growing up. Like, you know, there was Nintendo Power, and then for some of them, for some people, there was the lesser known Sega Visions. For those of you who are Sega fans, but there was even an Amiga magazine. My uncle got the Amiga magazines. Oh wow. <laughs> And so it, you know, I was the only nephew that he had that was like super into games as much as he was. So, you know, I'd come over and he'd show me all his new stuff he got. He was so excited to share this stuff with me. And like, so when Chuck Rock first came out, he was showing me Chuck Rock. When Another World, or what's the other name of it? I know it is Another World. Out oh, of this out world. Out of this world. Yeah, when that came out, he was showing me that. You know, um, these these older games that were on everything but also on Amiga often played or looked better on Amiga than they did on Genesis or Super Nintendo or whatever was the prevalent console at the time. And he was just so into it. And I'd, I'd see it and I'd be like, man, that looks great. And then I'd play it on the other one. And I'd be like, well, this is pretty close to what he was playing and I don't have an Amiga, so I'll play it here. And like to play that now, I don't even know if it's even possible to get an original Amiga <laughs> and a display that still works and a hard drive that's not busted and play Amiga games. I just don't I'm, think that's a thing now. I'm kind of sad because I think he had all that when he passed away. And I I would have loved to have had have that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, I think his girlfriend probably ended up dumping a lot of that. I tried to get a hold of yeah. some of his stuff. Like he had comics and everything that I wanted. And didn't get any of it, unfortunately, but... I'm I'm sure he still had that when he passed away. That's the other thing too is I had a lot of these games too as a kid, and I I sadly got rid of them. Like uh, GP, I got to ask because you have a a sizable Nintendo library right now. How much of that is recent, and how much of that is from when you were a kid? Well, oh God, um, there's a couple different ways to answer that. So I, uh, from when I was a kid, maybe forty, maybe forty. That's wow. that's a big maybe. Like really, probably closer to like upper teens. But when I started the retro therapy, we were at 63 or 64 NES carts. So in the two years since we've been doing the channel with the, the quest for NES, just from my wife and I game hunting and people sending in donation carts, we're at about 280. And so, yeah, we've, we've quadrupled and then some our collection over the past two years just from, you know, hunting and and generosity no, it's, it's crazy to see so many nintendo games just on a shelf well and you guys <laughs> it's just you amazing. guys were talking about like how much room they take up they're heavy as shit too like we just moved and the number of rubbermaid coats that i had to carry and schlep around and like i've got them you know displayed in my background on a, a, a wooden like quality um entertainment system or center and the wood is starting to bow not oh, exaggerating. Wow. It's it's wow. intense. So I'm gonna have to go back to like a, a metal frame. But yeah, they're they're sizable. And hefty. Yeah, the collecting aspect is just as much as I'd love to, I just I can't do the space. I give my wife shit for her beanie baby collection. <laughs> it's like eight tubs of the damn things. But I'm like I'd be just as bad with Nintendo so I could. Like Paul I think you're like me. I think we both gave up our collections and we maybe regret a little bit of it. Yeah, it's it's like ninety percent I'm okay with, and then ten percent every now and then I'm like, I wish I still had that. But it was it's most of the systems I don't regret selling. Nintendo and 
my PS4 <laughs> are the two main ones. But lately, <laughs> PS PS2 is coming back to me, so I'm kind of wanting a PS2 now. Yeah, for me, it's always going to come down to just like the preservation, the ability to play these games is important. I mean, I may not want to, but like I just think of, I hope I try to get my kids to play the old games, and they do love a lot of the Mario games and whatnot. But 20 years from now, I hope that they're interested in looking back at the old games. Like, I know I am. Like, again, the Misters opened me up to a bunch of systems I didn't know existed or I didn't know anything about. Um, the one I actually, I kind of want to buy it. It's called a Vectrix. It's a, instead of a CRT, it's actually a, um, it's a vector display. It's a vector machine. And it's an all-in-one unit. It's like a tiny little monitor. I want to say it's like a nine-inch monitor. And the controllers are on this old, like, phone cord. <laughs> like, it's, a, it's, from, <laughs> it's from the 82, 83, I think. I think it was made by GE. And it's an old-ass video game machine, but it's vector graphics. It's not It's not pixels. It looks dope as shit, honestly. It's amazing. The games are fun. And the games look, to me, a lot better than some of the Atari and Coleco ports that came out later on. So I think it's really cool. And I only found it because of the Mister, and I went back and played it. Or like, um, there's one system called, or computer, called the PD, PDP-1 from 1960, right? This is one of those... Huge ass computers you'd have at university, right? Punch cards. Uh, used a circular radar style monitor, right? And of course, an expensive computer at a university, they want to play games on it. So, the, one of the <laughs> probably, I think it's considered the first video game. It's called Space Wars. And it's, it's not very complicated, but it has, you know, gravity and two little spaceships and you're shooting each other around a star. And it's, it's cool as hell. And from 1960, and unless you go to the museum where one of those things is actually working, the only way you're going to play this game on that system is on the, something like the Mister, recreated for the emulation. Uh, and I think that's just really cool that old games can still be played. It can still be, you know, part of history to read about, sure, but actually played is a whole other thing. Yeah. And there's actually a book that I was reading called, was it Retro Game or Vintage Games 2.0? And they were basically talking about the formative experience because for me video games started with nintendo it started before that and these are titles that besides pong and like pitfall you know games that were before nintendo that i never really heard of then they get into the big ones like pac-man and such but they also list a way for you to play it as closely uh, as accurately as possible to the original and i thought that was really cool that they actually make a point to try to emulate it as much as possible not try to improve it not try to do it not just port it and hope that it works but as true a a recreation as you can play it and i thought that was really cool that you take those lists of games and say here do this and become it just try it i just think it's pretty neat well and like i love it like as much as i hey man i use safe states too I love retro achievements. I use fast forward. All those emulation features that got added in the last, you know, decade or so are great. But there's something to be said about going back to playing the games how they originally were is is great. And it's great holding that old brick Nintendo controller in your hand and playing on a CRT. But that's just not realistic for for most of the people. So, and to be able to play that in other ways and still have a very fairly accurate way of doing so is is great. So, Emulation's great for that. Yeah, my wife made me give up my CRT years ago. See, we had... No, you know, I still have one in the closet. I have a 
It's a 40-inch Sony one, but it's got the white, the white bands of death at the top. So we mm. stopped using it. I don't know if there's a way to fix that. Uh, I'm not sure. Because like, I'm in the process of moving, and I, I, I was thinking like about just tossing it to the curb. But if I could fix it, <laughs> I might actually use it. Probably parts replacement. Yeah. I don't know. Anybody else have any final thoughts on emulation or old games? Or No, I'm drawing blank now. All I know is that all this emulation talks made me want to go back and play some of these games that, uh, like you said, with your kids in 20 years from now, you're hoping they will want to go back and play. I want to try some of the more formative ones because Super Nintendo is my favorite, but that wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the ones before that, you know, and they were constantly pushing pushing boundaries of the hardware and stuff, and that's what they're doing now with all the beautiful graphics and stuff for, like, modern games. They're still doing the same thing, pushing whatever they can. And I kind of want to go back to the basics a bit and just see where it all started because it makes me appreciate it all a lot, even more. All right. JP, Wolf, any last thoughts? I think we covered everything I wanted to I had on my mind. Yeah, I found this to be very uh, enlightening, and I, I've had fun listening and participating in the uh, the amounts that I have. Enlightening? I thought it was, like, really fattening, and it was delicious <laughs> and rich. It was beefy. Beefy. Thank I you. feel like this is one of the more <laughs> educational episodes we've done in a while. But <laughs> I thought you were about to I say edgy, it. like we've isolated an entire <laughs> branch of people somehow. <laughs> but yeah, it's very educational. Damn you, Adventure Island fans. I know you're better than me. Wait, you are. Yeah, man, input lag was a thing, but I still suck at Nintendo games. Yeah. <laughs> Ninja Gaiden has taught me that damn well this past two weeks. All right, well, we'll finish up. Pulse, where can folks talk to you and find you? Yeah, you can find me in the Press B to Cancel Discord if you'd like to talk to me. Uh, we have the link there on our website, and I'm sure we can post it on, post it on Twitter and such. But, uh, yeah, you can find me there, and, yeah, look forward to I want to hear what you think about emulation. Awesome. Wolf, how about you? Where can folks find you? Uh, here, Twitter, and hopefully by the time this airs on Twitch. If not, then hopefully soon after. All right, great. And GP, where can folks find you? When people listen to this, will this be considered emulating? <laughs> Is this a virtual GP? We're emulating radio shows. We're making our own. Then I am (laughs) pro-emulation. Oh, my gosh. I heard a... My kid was watching a cartoon not long ago where they were talking about listening to the radio, and they called it old-timey podcasting. Oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) Old-timey podcasting. Uh, uh, But, yes. Artisanal podcasting. Artisanal podcasting. Well, you know, if... um, if it's not from the podcast region of France, it's actually just called Sparkling Radio. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it's a little highbrow humor. Okay. Uh, no, you can find me on Twitch at uh, twitch.tv slash theretrotherapy, or you can find me, uh, where else? <laughs> Instagram and Twitter and YouTube, also as The Retro Therapy. And then, of course, pressbeatacancel.com. Great. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week. Love you. (laughs) I I, I like you too. I need to learn how to do this voice. (laughs) It's almost like breathing in. Oh, there's my there's my issue.
is the breathing. (laughs) (laughs) Special thanks for music go to Arthur the Ancient found on SoundCloud or The Last Ancient on YouTube. For more episodes, please visit our website, pressb2cancel.com. As well, feel free to like or subscribe at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you'd like to listen to your favorite shows. As always, thank you. This has been... Press B to cancel.